All right, Habakkuk chapter 2. And John said, the title of the lesson is, Things Are Not Getting Better. And, well, I don't know, I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm struggling this morning. And I want you to recognize, or hopefully recognize, the things that have happened recently and Recently and, and for a while, I planned these sermons out quite a while ago. So the fact that we're here now in Habakkuk, I think, is significant. With all the stuff that's been happening, with the people that have been losing loved ones and the, the way things have been going, it's been kind of heavy around here. I don't know if you felt it, but I feel it. With the loss of loved ones, it gets, even though we know we're going to see them again in heaven, it's still heavy. It still hurts. And not too long ago, I received a text from a sister asking me if I could try and address the, the heaviness, the, the hurt that was happening. And I said, well, we're coming into Habakkuk, and I think that will actually, I was hoping, would actually address that. But I had already planned that a long time ago. I want you to notice how God provides for us. Amen. In his providence, the lessons that, that I was teaching ended us up here at this time. And for me, I don't know about you, but for me, that is significant. Amen. The fact that God is speaking to me through his word, and he's actually guiding us in his word, and he's saying, hey, you guys might need something from me especially right now, and here's something you can use. And I think Habakkuk is something we can use. In the very first chapter, what is the problem? Habakkuk is saying, there is all this injustice in the land. There's all this stuff going on, and God, you're, you're not doing anything. And there's something going on, and you need to take care of it. And God says, yeah, you're right. And like John said, he's not happy with God's answer. God says, this is what I'm going to do. And what does Habakkuk say? He says, those people are worse than us, God. How can you use them to discipline us? Because they deserve it too. And in fact, when they triumph over us, like you say they will, they're going to worship their nets. They're, gonna, they're not even going to give the credit to you. So why in the world would you use them? And when you get to chapter 2, Again, Habakkuk is, is speaking there, and God's second response comes in Habakkuk chapter 2. And the message, the overall message of chapter 2 is, things are not going to get better right away. Things are not getting better. And in my mind, I, I think that too. Things are not getting better. Now, I know things will get better. But right now, things are not getting better. And it hurts. And I'm struggling. And I need your help. And that's where Habakkuk is. Any, any of you snipers from the military? Anybody here a sniper? That's good to know. <laughs> In some ways, that's good to know. I'm not, 
The snipers have this little thing, not all of them probably, but some of them, called SLLS. When you're, when you're losing track of yourself, when you're, when you're out you know, for long times waiting for your target, you can lose track of things, you can slip up. And, and in that area of profession, a tiny slip up could mean your life. Yeah, somebody else's life too. SLLS. First thing you do, when, when you feel like things are, are spinning out of control or, or you're thinking, man, things are just not feeling right here, I gotta stop, number one, stop. Just stop what you're doing. S, stop. L, look around. What, what's going on around you? What's happening? What, what's happening around you? Where are you? What's going on around you? Where are you going? Where you been? Look around you. Then listen. What's happening around you? Waterfalls or you know, the things in nature that you'd be listening for. But then again, in life, listen around or listen. S-L-L-S. Then smell. Number four, smell. What do you smell? Do you smell your target cigarette way down there? Do you smell their campfire? Do they smell yours? Do they smell you? So you, that's for a sniper. But think about just in your daily life. When you start feeling all discombobulated, if you stop, you look, you listen, and you smell. Just a time to kind of center yourself and to, to think, what's going on around me? What's happening? And to get you back on track. I think in Habakkuk 2, we have something very similar. It's not going to be stop, look, listen, smell. It's going to be something along those lines. And that's what I want to write down for you so you can keep up with me here. And this is sort of going to be the end result of chapter 2 for me. What do we do when we think God is, is letting injustice happen? And Well, we know injustice is happening. And then, then we say, God, do something. And God says, okay, I'll do it. And then we say, wait a minute, God. Couldn't you do it a better way? Couldn't you do it a less painful way? Couldn't you do it a way that I would like? And God says, uh, no, I'm going to do it my way. And my way is actually better. And so how do we live as people of God when things are going on around us and we feel like things are out of control? Well, look at verse 1. It's already been read to us, but I want to read it again as we go through this. Verse 1. After he gets done saying, God, you need to do this differently. Because Babylon, are bad. Babylon is full of bad people. They're not even going to give you credit when you do what you say you're going to do. His end result to saying, God, please do it a different way. Is, I will stand on my guard post. And I will station myself on the rampart. And I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me. And how I may reply when I am reproved. The very first thing I think that we do when we're in these situations, when Habakkuk is in this situation, is to do this. We stand. But we don't just stand, period. There's, there's another part of this standing here. I will stand on my post. And I will watch. I will keep watch. He's going to position himself there on that rampart. What does that imply? 
Hey, think about that for a second. If he's, if he's saying, I'm going to stand and I'm going to watch, what does that mean? Anybody got a, got a guess? What, what is that, or what does that imply? Because, I'm, I'm, of course, I'm looking for my answer. So if you don't get my answer, you're wrong. But what, what does that imply? I'm going to stand and I'm going to watch. Protection, paying attention. Stay focused. There, you're getting closer to what I'm thinking. Surveying everything around him. Okay, and he's waiting for God's answer. So, what is is there a there's a time period here? I think there's a I'm going to stand and I'm going to wait for God's answer. But while I'm standing, what do I need to be? When when we're waiting for God's answer, what do you need to be? Patient. Patient. I think the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to stand patiently. T-I-E-N-T, right? Shint, L-Y. Don't forget that L-Y, like I do. I'm going to be standing patiently. Standing patiently. That's the first thing I'm going to do. And when I was thinking about standing patiently, you know, Sometimes you've got to rush to that, that point where you're going to be patient. But like Zacchaeus, what does he do? When he can't get a good look at Jesus coming in, what does he do? He runs and he gets up on that little tree, doesn't he? Or that little tree, that tree that's, that's bigger than him. He's the little one in this scenario. He runs and he gets there and he, and he waits and he, and he waits to see Jesus. Now, the thing I like about that is if he can't see him down here, he's going to find a place where he can see Jesus. He's going to get to where he can see him, and he's going to get to where he can behold him with his eyes. And that's kind of what I see here in Habakkuk. I, I can't see you right now. I can't understand what you're doing, God, but I'm going to stand, and I'm going to wait. And I'm going to be patient. I'm going to wait for your answer. I think God does communicate with us. And I, like, like I led with this morning, I think he's communicating with us here. We're standing and we're waiting for God's answer as to why do these things happen. We know, we know death comes. We know everybody eventually is going to die. But when that does happen, it does catch us by surprise most of the time. Even when you're expecting the death, even when they're sick ahead of time, it still is the... Yeah, why? Why do they have to be sick? Why, why did you take them rather than somebody else? They, they do good for you. They, they, they're so good for you, God. They, they, they touch people's lives. Why take them? We need to stand and wait sometimes for an answer. We need to be patient sometimes for an answer. And sometimes you've got to climb and get up to where you can see Jesus and wait for that answer. Go over to Psalm if you have your Bibles open. Psalm chapter 4. Because I think the standing patiently just doesn't mean that I'm just going to stop where I'm at. And just stand there. As, we see, as we're going to see later on here, there's more to that than just standing, just standing around. Sometimes I need to stand patiently, and sometimes I need to do what the psalmist says here in Psalm 4 through 8. 4, 4 through 8. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. Many are saying, who will show us any good? Lift up the light of thy countenance upon us, O Lord. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than with their grain and their new wine to bound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for thou, thou alone, O Lord, 
dost make me to dwell in safety. Sometimes I'm going to stand and I'm going to wait. And sometimes I'm going to lie down and I'm going to be still. I'm going to meditate on my bed like the psalmist says here. Lie down, meditate on your bed. Think about things. Meditate on what God is doing, not only in your life, what he's, getting, what he's doing around you. There's your first one, is, is the S again. Stand patiently. When, when things are going crazy in my life, when things are going crazy here in Habakkuk's life, he says, okay, I don't understand, and I think you could do it better, but God, I'm going to stand patiently, and I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait, I'm going to trust. I'm going to stand patiently. Because God's going to talk to you and what he's going to do next. Because when, when Habakkuk says there, I'm going to stand, what's the, next, what's the next action you see there? Again, I'm looking for my answer, so I apologize if I say no. But uh, what's, what's the next a- action? He's standing and he's doing what? He's watching. What was that, Jeff? Listening. Listen. Number two, listen. And here, I'm going to stand, I'm going to watch, I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen for your word. I'm going to listen to see what you're going to say to me. There in verse one, I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. He is going to listen for God. But this listening is not just a, a passive listening. I want, I want to be an active listener. I think when I listen, I need to listen actively. Listen actively. So number one, stand patiently. Number two, listen actively. Because God is going to let us go through hard times in our lives, isn't He? He's going to let us go through deserts in our lives. Just like He let the nation of Israel, and and put the nation of Israel through deserts. He's going to put us through them, he's going to let us go through them, and he wants us to go through them. Why? It it refines us. It it transforms us. It, it, It accomplishes his purpose. Yes, it accomplishes his purpose in our life. He's going to put us through these things. He's going to let us have hard times. He's not going to just, you know, put a, put a, hedge around us and keep us always safe from everything in the world. And he says, you're going to be in the world and you're going to get hurt. Because if if they hurt me, what do you think they're going to do to you? They're going to hurt you too. I'm going to let you go through this stuff. In fact, Peter talks about joining in the Christ's sufferings and that we should expect to be in those things, in those sufferings and and taking a part of those sufferings. And if we're not taking a part of those sufferings, then we need to check our lives and make sure that we're we're doing what God is asking us to do because we should be suffering. Not all the time, of course, but there is a suffering that is, that is I think, a part of Christianity. I think over in over to 2 Corinthians, in Paul's life, you see God saying, I'm going to let you suffer. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You probably know what I'm referring to already when I say 2 Corinthians 12. Paul is going to go through some suffering, and he asks God for some relief of this suffering. Just after he's gotten done describing this vision that he says in verse 2, I know a man who's had this vision. 
And he says, you know, I don't want to boast. In verse 7, he says, And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Tempted to think too highly of himself, tempted to think more of himself than he should, there's something here to keep him humble. And in verse 8, he says, Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he has said to me, what? Sure, I'll take it away from you because it, it obviously hurts. What does he say? My grace is what? Sufficient. Sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness than that the power of Christ may dwell in me. God says, I can, but I'm not going to. I can take it away from you, sure, but I'm not going to. And why? Because it, it's a part of Paul's perfecting. It's a part of Paul's keeping him humble. It's a part of making Paul who he is supposed to be in Christ. It's a part of Paul understanding that his powers, God's power is perfected in his weakness. It's all, it's all a part of the same thing. But I don't know, how many times have you said, Gee, Lord, thank you so much for letting me suffer. Thank you so much for not completely protecting me and taking me out of this. Thank you so much for letting me have that. Oftentimes, I don't think I thank him for my suffering. I probably should, but I don't think I do. Growing up, I remember my parents telling me either no or no, you can't do this, you can't do that. And I always had the perfect comeback for whatever it was that they told me. My perfect comeback was that is not a valid reason. It covers everything, I thought. If you won't let me do it, why won't you let me do it? And then they tell me why, and I said, that's not a valid reason. And my parents do this. No, they weren't thinking about grace at that point, usually. But by the time I got to that, my, that is not a valid reason. We were a little past grace in, in our relationship. But... I, I would constantly use that. That is not a valid reason. And my dad would say, ah, that's the way it is. I'm, I'm, I'm your father. That's the way it is. And I didn't understand that as a kid because I thought, you know, that, that's not a valid reason. That doesn't make any sense to me. That doesn't make any sense to you why you'd let me suffer. It doesn't make any sense why you'd use the Babylonians. It doesn't make any sense why, why these things happen. And God says, it may not make sense to you, but it's for your good. It's to perfect you, it's, it's to purify you, it's to mold you, it's to shape you, and that's going to hurt. Yes, and we're going to get there. That's a part of this, counting it all joy. So the first thing we do is we stand patiently. The second thing we do, we listen actively. And look down there, let's see, after verse 1. Then the Lord answered me and said, this is God, like I said, second response. Record the vision. And inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. All right. Now, here's number three. Here's the third thing we do. So if you're standing and you're listening as you're going through these hard times, you're standing patiently and you're listening actively. You're listening for God's word. You're standing. <clears throat> What's next? What do you see here? What does the Lord say to him? Anybody? I, I haven't scared you, have I? No. Write it down. Write. 
Exactly. Write it down. Record the vision. So you stand patiently, you listen actively, and you write. And how do we write? Here's how I want you to understand writing. Have you, who has gone to the store and left the store without the thing you went to go to the store to get? Yeah, you, what do you, yeah, you make a list, right? You make a list, you check it twice, you find out who's naughty and nice. No, wait a minute, that's Santa. You, do, you make a list, you make sure you put milk on it, and you pick up the milk. Otherwise, you walk out of the store sometimes without milk. I've done that before. I put the list on my phone. I just got to remember that the list is on my phone and to look at my phone before I leave the store. But sometimes you get caught up in the store and you just walk out and boom. You, you, you get home and you think, oh, man. And, and you know, I, don't, I don't usually go back at that point because I'm too frustrated. That you make a list. You write it down. And when we're walking through these things, when, when Habakkuk is going through this, and when, when God takes us through these things, when we have these, these trials in our lives, one of the things we need to do is to write down what's happening, what God is doing, what God is telling me, to record what's going on in my life. I think that's an essential part to, to understanding what God is doing with us. Because if we're not writing things down, we're not keeping track of what's going on. How, when we look back and we look at that 2020 vision and we, we try to see how God has been moving in our life and working, and we can lose a lot if we don't write things down. Amen. If, we're, if you're studying the Bible, if you're looking for answers and, and you're talking to God, you're praying to God, and you're writing as you're going, a lot of times you can see how God is working, where He's working. And God tells him to write this stuff down, and it's for this reason to tell people, right? For the reason to appoint a time, or excuse me, grab it on tablets, the one who reads it may run. He's saying, well, somebody's going to read this. Somebody's going to read this and understand this. So when we're writing in these, in these times, these troubling times, when things aren't getting better, and we're, we're struggling, I want you to write. I hope I have enough to. hope that's right. I'm not a good speller. Declaratively. Declaratively, if that's, can you read that? And if, if it's not right, just change it in your own notes. You don't have to write it down wrong. Declaratively. I want you to write declaratively. When I ask God, why is this, why is this happening? I need to be ready to record answers that he's going to give me. And I think God does answer us. A lot of times it's not immediate. A lot of times it's hard to understand. But as I'm writing things down, as I'm, as I'm going through these things, I can see God working Another key or another point in this writing down is that I'm going to be perhaps helping somebody else along the way. After I get through my struggles, what happens? A lot of times you meet people that are going through similar things. And what do you do? You share your experiences with them, don't you? But if I don't remember my experiences, if I'm not keeping track of my own experiences, then I'm going to have a harder time sharing my experiences with people. I'm going to, I'm going to not be able to, to declare how God is working so well in my life. And so much in my life. I see Habakkuk standing patiently, listening actively, and writing declaratively here in these first three verses. And for me, in tough times, in these times, I do the same thing. But what's the last thing he does? Because God says, write it down, that the one who reads it may run. And then in verse 3 he says, for the vision is yet for the appointed time. 
It hastens toward the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. So as you're writing things down, in fact, I remember a guy from Puyallup who always told new, new Christians to write down what they were thinking, what was going on in them right then after they were immersed. What is going on? Why did you make this decision? So you can look back on it and say, this is why I gave my life to Christ. This is what happened. As you're writing those things down, in that very next verse, what is Habakkuk told to do? What do you see in that one? Wait. Exactly. Wait. And as he waits, what is he waiting for? And the appointed time is set by what? Wait on Him. Wait on God. God's setting the appointed time. God is deciding when this is going to happen. And He says, I want you to wait for me. It's, it's that... You know, you've probably heard that phrase, wait for it. And when you hear wait for it, what's, what's coming? Something is coming. Wait for it. It's, usually it's a joke, right? But this, God is saying now, wait for it. Wait for me. When I'm waiting, a lot of times I wait on me. I wait on my time, on my power, on my schedule. But Habakkuk is told to wait on God, on his schedule, on his time, on his understanding, all of that, wait on him. And here's where that James comes in. When he, I think when he's talking about all these trials and all these things that you might be going through, the very first chapter, and he says, you, you're going to bear up underneath all of this. It's an active bearing. It's a waiting patiently. It's sometimes you've got to wait patiently, but wait actively under him. That's why the active, that's why the patient is all there. It's all there. It's all working together, waiting on him. That, that last one reminds me of two people, Moses and Joseph. When you think about Moses waiting on God. Now looking back on his life, he's going to see those periods of time where he's being prepared for all the stuff beforehand. But obviously going through it, he sees it like us in real time. He probably didn't quite understand all of it. Joseph himself. Well, going back to Moses. In Acts, what does, it, what does it tell us about him understanding God's role for him? He says in Acts chapter 7 there that he, he knew that God was asking him to free his people, but he didn't quite understand because that's, that's why he went and killed the Egyptian slave. Acts chapter 7. It gives you an insight into why Moses killed the slave to begin, or the, the, the guard to begin with. Because he knew that God was asking him to free his people, but, but God says, no, that's, that's not exactly how I want you to do it. In fact, go, let me, let's go over there really quick in case you're not familiar with that verse because it's an interesting insight into Moses' mind and what he's doing. Acts chapter 7. Yes, verse 24. And when he saw one of them... Actually, verse 23 gives you the age. When he was approaching the age of 40, he entered in his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. Look at verse 25. 
And he was thinking or was supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him. But they did not understand. I don't think he even understood at that point exactly what was going on in his life and how God exactly was going to grant deliverance through him, to his people. All of this, he supposed that his brethren understood. Now, why would he suppose that his brethren understood? Why would he suppose that anybody would understand? Why? He doesn't even quite get it yet. God's going to take him out. He's going to refine him again. And he's going to bring him back. And he's going to... It's, it's all of this stuff that God is doing. He's asking him, nope, nope, that's still not how I want you to do it, Moses. Let me show you how I want to do how I want this to happen. It's not by your power. It's not you striking down the Egyptians. I need to be the one striking down the Egyptians. I need to be the one that gets the glory from this, not you. So he takes him and he, and he refines him there and he, and he changes him and then he brings him back and he de- uh, frees his people. Joseph the same way. In a slavery, his brothers want to sell him, want to kill him, sell him into slavery. Then he rises to power, cast down again, he rises to power and God's all the time working through him. But man, can you imagine that life as you're going through it, wondering what in the world is happening here? How is God supposed to use me? But Joseph says at the end of his life that God, you meant it for bad to his brothers, but God meant this for good. I can see it now. I can see how God has this all laid out for me now. Boy. God asks us to wait at times, doesn't he? He tells us to wait. He tells us to wait. And sometimes that reminds me of God's will for us and wanting to find out what God's will is and asking those big questions. What is his will for my life? He says, maybe you don't need to worry about the big picture here. Maybe you just need to take care of the small picture. Do what's right today. Do what I am asking you to do today. And that's a part of my will for you overall. And as you do that, you find the bigger picture. God says in here, I'm going to punish Babylon. I'm going to do all of that. I'm not going to do it the way you want me to. I'm not going to do it in an in a easy way. In fact, I'm going to do it in a very hard way that is going to, going to discipline my people, that is going to hopefully train my people, hopefully bring them back to me. So the overall principle here is found in verse 4. These are verses 1 through 3. To stand patiently, listen actively, wait, uh, wait, decla- write, not wait, write declaratively and wait on him. But the overall principle is in verse 4. And what is the overall principle that God is, is trying to get across? If I had a board in the middle, I'd put a big verses, V verses there. It's two P's of what I'm looking for. I'm not two P's. One P and one F. What am I thinking? I don't, I don't know what I'm thinking at this point. My brain is going all, all sorts of different ways. Here's the first one. It's... Oops. Pride. And if I had a board in the middle, it would say big versus. Pride versus what? Faith. Faith. Exactly. Faith. Pride versus faith. What is God saying? Overall principle here for his people, for any people. He's saying the overall principle is pride Versus faith. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by faith. How do you live by faith? I think part of the answer is these four things. You stand patiently. You listen actively. 
You write declaratively and you wait on him. When things are going crazy, you don't take it into your own hands. You wait, you listen, you stand, you do all these things. That's what God is asking Habakkuk and his people to do. He's saying, come back to me. Stand, listen, wait, write, all of these things. Do it for me. But how do you live by faith? Here's where I want to take you to the New Testament and show you what Paul is saying. This is the person of active faith. This is the man who lives by faith versus pride. Because you're always supposed to back up your Old Testament with a New Testament example, right? But the problem with this example is that when I go to the New Testament to back up the Old Testament, the New Testament is quoting the Old Testament. So are we really looking at the Old Testament or are we looking at the New Testament? Well, we're looking at both. So let's go to Romans chapter 4. Here Paul says, here is the life of faith. Here's what a life walked out in faith looks like. But he says to New Testament Christians, here's what it looks like. And he quotes, or he goes back and he looks at an Old Testament example of the father of faith, Abraham. And he says, this is what it looks like. And I know we have been through this, I think, before. But I want to point it out again, because if we're talking about the proud versus faith, and God is saying, the righteous will live by faith. I want you to do this for me. I want you to live this way. This is how God wants us to live. And these, I'm going to give you these probably pretty quickly. So if you don't get them, you can always ask me later. I want you to go start in verse 12. It picks up in verse 12. We're picking up in the middle of a thought here. He's talking about the circumcision, the uncircumcised, when he was, he was reckoned as righteous. He's talking about before circumcision, after circumcision, he received the sign of circumcision, all of this there. In verse 12, it says, And the father of circumcision to those who are not only of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of the father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through law, but through the righteousness of faith. For those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For if the law brings about wrath and where there is no law, there is neither, there, neither is there violation. For this reason it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace, that in order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, the father of many nations have I made you in the sight of him who believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope, he believed, in order that he might become a father of many nations. According to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet, with respect to the promise of God, He did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Therefore also it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now not to his sake, for his sake, only was it written that it was reckoned to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be reckoned, as those who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, he who was delivered up because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. So here Paul says in the very end of that, it's, it's for your sake. 
too. It's not just for his sake. It's for your sake now. And, and consequently for our sake right now that we're reading these things. As you look back there in these verses here, and I've got them outlined in my little Bible here, and I'm going to read them to you really quickly. Verse number 12, the following in his steps. That is a walking faith. That is an active faith. That is a faith that moves. When God says, I want you to move to this land that you don't know anything about, he says, okay, I'll move. And you walk. You don't even know where you're going, but you walk. And that's part of this, this faith that we live by, where it's a walking faith. It's not a static, it's a moving, it's a growing faith. And in verse 16, By this faith, in accordance with grace, the promise may be certain, this is a humble faith. It's by His grace, it's not by our power. It's, it's not because I can do it. It's again, back to Habakkuk. The proud person is going to have a problem. The humble person is going to live by faith. That's who I'm looking for. I'm not looking for the proud. I'm looking for those who will live by faith. This humble faith that Abraham had. Because it's God's grace, not my power, that it works out. Verse 17. He gives life to the dead. He calls into being that which does not exist. This humble faith, this walking faith, is an incredible faith. God calls something from nothing. God, despite of my experience, despite of what I think can happen... I believe when God says, I can do this, I believe he can do what he says. And that's a part of this faith that he's saying, you need to live by this faith. Do you believe I can take care of you over the, over the Chaldeans, over the Babylonians? Do you believe that I can provide for you? Obviously you don't because you're taking matters into your own hands. And there's injustice in the land. There's all this stuff going on. You don't believe me. And God's saying, I want you to believe me. And so because I want you to believe me, I'm going to send these people... To, to discipline you, and maybe then you'll start believing that I can do what I say I'm going to do. That's this walking faith. That's this, this humble faith. That's this incredible faith. And verse 18 is a hoping faith. He hoped against hope. That what God said He could do, He would do. Hope against hope. It's a hoping faith. In verse 19, it's a fact-facing faith. Fact-facing. I know my wife can't have kids. Her womb is dead. But what does God say? You're going to have a son. It's fact-facing. I, I know what that says, but God says he can do it. Okay. I believe you. Fact-facing. God's facts. Verse 20. It's unwavering. He did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith. Boy, all of this stuff. And what's interesting about that is if you remember back to the story... He tries, I think, different ways to fulfill God's plan. And he lies through it. He, he does a whole bunch of things that, that, that don't line up with what we think of the father of faith, right? I'm going to lie about my wife. Oh, no, she's my sister. Oh, no, she's not your sister. Oh, I'm scared. Let, let's, let's, let's try to have the kid this way. Let's, let's give, give him my handmaiden. No, God doesn't want it that way either. And he's going to do it the way he wants to. But, but what this, this unwavering faith is, is not a, a faith that never makes a mistake. Because we see the father of faith making mistakes. We see people like David making mistakes. It's not a faith that doesn't make mistakes, but it's a faith that keeps walking, even though we make mistakes. It's a faith that they can make mistakes and still be forgiven. We don't have to be absolutely perfect, because God is the one that's perfect. Jesus is the one that's perfect. And he makes us perfect. But I'm not going to be perfect. 
And I love that about the faith. Verse 20, or excuse me, verse, yeah, it's still verse 20. He grew strong in the faith. It's a, it's a unwavering faith, but it's also a God-glorifying faith. Because you know where this is coming from. Oh, I, I'm going to glorify you because I've made mistakes and, and you still love me. You still want me and I still make mistakes and you still love me. Verse 21, it's power oriented. God has the power. He's going to do what he wants to do. I need to obey him. Just like in Habakkuk. I've got the power here. Let me show you. So that you will come back to me. Here is that, that, that life of faith described in the life of Abraham to New Testament Christians and subsequently us today. This faith that is a walking faith. It's a humble faith, incredible faith, fact-facing, unwavering. All of these things. God-glorifying, power-orientated. It's all these things. It's a life of faith. Tonight, if you come back tonight, we're going to explore just a little bit more about pride versus faith. And the overall purpose, I think, of his message there in Habakkuk 2. But that will get you started. If you don't come back tonight, you've got something to look at today and the rest of the week if you look at your Bible at all. Look at Habakkuk 2 and look at Romans chapter 4. If you want to see how the righteous live by faith, look at what Paul describes as of Abraham. Look how he describes his walk. Not a perfect walk, but a walk that is forgiven because of God's grace and His mercy. Now, this morning I'm going to give you this lesson. This is yours. This is, this is yours for you to do with what you please. It's, it's been a tough lesson for me this week with stuff going on, with losing people, and then losing my father-in-law. It's been, it's been rocky because you do ask those questions. Why are things happening the way they happen? Why do you let things happen this way? What are we supposed to do with that, God? For me, I'm going to stand patiently. I'm going to listen actively. I'm going to write declaratively. I'm going to wait on him. I'm going to do the same thing that I think he asked Habakkuk and his people to do. And all the while, having that walk of faith like Abraham. If you don't know him this morning, we'd love to share him with you more. If you understand that life of faith, if, you, if you're outside of the faith, he's calling to you today to walk that walk. He's, he's giving you that same message that he gave to Habakkuk. I'm, I'm going I'm to have to ask you to do what I'm asking you to do. Live like I'm asking you to live. Because there is an ultimate punishment for not living that way. God says, I am just, I am righteous, and therefore, when I say, you need to live this way, and the opposite is also true. If you don't, there's something waiting for us. But we don't have to end up there. We don't have to end up in the hell that is created for the devil and his angels. We can be a part of that righteous that live and walk by faith. If you're not a part of that this morning, let us talk to you. Let us pray with you. Let us, let us study with you. To see this Jesus Christ who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Who loves you, who died for you and has given his life for you. So that you could be united with him. And rise to walk that life of faith after you've been cleansed of your sins. If you need that this morning, or if you need the prayers of this body this morning, pray that you do that as we stand and as we sing.